So uh, do any of you remember the Toronto Blessing from um, the, the 90s? If you don't remember it, or if you don't know what it is, let me read out a little bit of uh, what, it was, uh, what it was about. The Toronto Blessing is a supposed outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people of the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship Church, formerly the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. On January the 20th, 1994, a Pentecostal pastor named Randy Clark spoke at the church and gave his testimony of how he would get drunk in the spirit and laugh uncontrollably. In response to this testimony, the congregation erupted in pandemonium with people laughing, growling, dancing, shaking, barking like dogs, and even being stuck in positions of paralysis. These experiences were attributed to the Holy Spirit entering people's bodies. The pastor of the church, John Arnott, referred to it as a big Holy Spirit party. The moniker Toronto Blessing was given and the church was soon in the international spotlight. So that became quite a phenomenon. And um, you may remember that from, um, from the past, from uh, the early 90s. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. Um, I remember a friend of mine once saying that she went to a church where people were sort of falling over and um, there was a, uh, she felt quite, quite uncomfortable with that. I mean, my experience is quite limited, really. I remember going to um, an event called Soul Survivor, a Christian youth event, where uh, we, uh, there were you know, sort of 5,000 young people at the Royal Bath and Wells showground and every night at the, the main meetings, the main speaker would ask us to, anyone who wanted prayer, to stand up. We'd, you know, we'd kind of surround them, put their hands on them and uh, pray for them. And my friend Kevin would always stand up every night. And um, it, whenever he'd pray for me, he'd always end up on the floor. Um, but that was pretty much my experience of this. Um, but it does, it does lead to the question, doesn't it? What should church be like? What should church be like? Should it be kind of full of these sort of experiences? Why is it that church often feels kind of ordinary. You know, you come to church and we have the ordinary songs and we have, you know, the, the, um, the, the ordinary preaching, as it were, and it just kind of feels a bit ordinary. Why is that? And that's what we're going to be thinking about in this, uh, in this passage here. Just to put 1 Corinthians into perspective, just to remind ourselves of what was, what was going on. The Corinthian church were really keen they were a keen church, but they were very immature. They, um, they thought that speaking in tongues was the only way of, of expressing your, how spiritual you were. And so it seems that that was what was happening when they met together. That was all that they were doing. And um, unfortunately, there were also some serious uh, moral problems. So, for example, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says... It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. So there was this kind of serious immorality happening in the congregation. And, um, and yet there was this kind of, they were keen, they were deeply mature though. Um, so what Paul says to them, verse 20, he says, stop thinking like children. He says, grow up. And how many times have you said that in your life? You know, grow up. Not in quite that, that tone of voice. But he says, you know, you need to, you need to become mature. Uh, he says, in regard to evil, be infants. So don't grow up in evil. 
Don't grow up in evil. That's, that's not the way to grow up. We should be infants when it comes to evil, but in everything else, in our thinking, we should be mature. It's like what he said in um, the previous chapter, verse 11. You might remember from a few weeks ago. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Famous words. So he says to become mature. And he says then, in the law it's written, and he quotes here from from, um, Isaiah, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That's from Isaiah chapter 28. What does he mean by including that quotation at this point? Well, Isaiah 28, if you read it, read the preceding verses, the people were not listening to God. They were not listening to God. They were mocking, actually, Isaiah and Isaiah's words. In fact, kind of like a childish insult. So maybe that's what Paul had in mind. They weren't listening. And so God says to them, because you're not listening to me, you're not taking seriously the message that I'm giving through my prophet Isaiah, I'm going to speak to you through in a way that you won't understand. I'm going to speak to you, as it says, through um, the lips of foreigners um, with other tongues. You won't understand. So what Paul is saying is that when God speaks in a way that you can't understand, that's not a sign of God's pleasure. That's a sign of God's judgment. The incomprehensible language is not a mark of spirituality. Think about um, what Jesus said about why he spoke in parables, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 10 to 13. The disciples asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So Jesus' parables were given because the people did not see or, or hear. But prophecy, on the other hand, prophecy is how God speaks to his people. Now, what is prophecy? Now, we thought a little bit about this last week, but I'd like to recap because I think this is really important. You know, I think prophecy, when we think about prophecy, you might think of, um, I don't know, Paul the Octopus. Do you remember Paul the Octopus from the World Cup a few years ago? That um, this was the octopus who managed to correctly predict 12 out of 14 World Cup matches in the, uh, the 2010 World Cup. And it became a bit of a phenomenon, you know, there was this octopus who could predict. And, but I think pro- when we think about prophecy, we often think of predicting the future. That's the way that most people, I think, would, would think about prophecy. But is that what prophecy is in the Bible? That prophecy is actually speaking God's words to God's people. It's speaking God's words to God's people. It's about calling people back to repentance and faith. It's about calling people away from the sinful ways that they've been living, calling people back to God. The goal is holiness. That's the purpose of prophecy. The goal is holiness, calling people to God, to obedience to him, calling people to his ways. Now, Mark said last week that uh, in the the New Testament and up to today, then preaching was kind of like prophecy. You know, it was about declaring God's word to to his people. And I think that's true. 
I think that, that sort of preaching is the successor, if you like, to prophecy. But I think there is another way that you could look at it as well, which is, I think that what we, what we speak to one another, and this is why Paul is, talks about everyone having that gift, because prophecy is when we speak God's words to one another, when we, uh, when we encourage one another. Now, for example, you think about home groups. I know many people are in a home group. You think about it, you share the problems that you have, you share the struggles that you have in your life, and you speak God's word to each other, you encourage one another with God's word, you pray for one another. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that Paul had in mind as we encourage one another in holiness, as we encourage one another. Now, why is prophecy relatively so important? Why does Paul put so much emphasis on this? Well, he says, consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. So he says, verse 22, signs are, uh, tongues are, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. He says, if, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? So if you think about the, the Toronto blessing, if someone came in to this, to this meeting and all of us were laughing uncontrollably or barking like dogs or, or something like that, then um, they, they'd probably think it was an outbreak of mass hysteria. Now, they wouldn't think it was an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that you know, tongues, they're a private spiritual experience they may edify you, as he said before, previously in chapter 14. It might build you up, might be good for you, but that's not what church is about. Church is about looking to the needs of one another. And in the, the, next, um, the last couple of verses, he says, If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. I think that's what, that's the heart of it. When, you know, they're convicted of sin. And they fall down and say, God is really among you. There's um, a couple of years ago, I was, um, I happened to see uh, on, um, on Twitter, I've been on social media, that someone who I think will be a fairly notorious uh, false teacher um, was talking about praying in tongues every day. And you just think, oh, that's a, that's a slightly strange thing. Um, but that, that's the thing, isn't it? That, that what Paul is saying is that tongues may be, may be a good spiritual experience, but they don't lead to the holiness of life that God requires. And that's why he says... Prophecy is the greater gift because that is what leads to godliness. When the word of God gets applied to our lives, it causes us to amend our ways, to turn to God, to love him and to love others. And God speaks, God speaks through us. I remember the first, um, this must have been one of the first times that I was preaching in this church um, a few years ago now, just after I, I, I'd come here, after the service, someone came up to me and just said to me, did you know my, my situation when you were preaching? And I said, no, not at all. No, I had no idea. But the words that I'd spoken had spoken to him. 
um, in, a very, in a very personal way. And it's not the first time that things like this have happened, and it's not the last time, that very often people, people say, and you know, perhaps you've had this experience, that someone has said something to you, or maybe you've heard something from the front, which has just been a, a, you know, applied to your heart in a very personal way, and you've, you felt like it was God speaking to you. And that's what God does. He uses each other. He, he works through us to speak to each other. And that's, that's how God works, to build up the church as we speak the word of God, not just from the front, but one-to-one in small groups and, and everything. That's how God works in us and, and through us. So um, just as we, we draw to a, to a close, I'd just like to tell you about um, another example back from the well, from the 80s and 90s, actually, a little bit earlier. Um, some of you may know, again, the, the nine o'clock service. This was a service which started up in Sheffield back in the mid-1980s. And it was under the leadership of a guy called Chris Brain. And um, it was started by him and, and some um, people who are into the arts and music and drama. And the idea was that not very many young people were coming to church. And so they wanted to appeal to a younger um, audience. And so they, they started this service, which was very heavily focused on kind of music and drama and the experience of it all. And um, that, it became quite successful. I think that at the peak, they had about 600 people, members, and the average age was something like 24. And most of them were from a non-church background. And this guy, Chris Brain, was um, railroaded through the Church of England process. He was ordained. Um, but then, inevitably, sadly, in 1995, it all had to stop amid accusations of abuse. You know, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, bullying, and, and so on. So this experience that they were creating did not actually lead to holiness. And that's, I think that's a cautionary tale for us. And I sometimes wish in the church here that we could, you know, give more of a, you know, you watch these videos and perhaps you did this during the lockdown, looking at other sort of big churches and, you know, they have the professional band and they have, you know, the dry ice machine. Someone comes out. And, I've been asking for a dry ice machine for ages, but they won't go for it. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the experience of it all. You know, it appears to be kind of professional and and I, I sometimes wish that we could kind of have that, the big church experience. But actually, but actually, there's a verse in Hebrews that says, Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, and that's the thing, that you know, we need to listen to him. We need to listen to him, whether that means from the front, whether that means from each other, in home groups, one-to-one, -one, wherever. We need to listen to the Lord. And that, that is what will lead to that deeper spiritual experience which we want. Not by manufacturing it, or not by, you know, kind of each of us having a private spiritual experience. But actually when we come together, when we share the word of God with each other, when we gain in holiness, that's when we will get that kind of that holiness, that's, that's seeing the Lord that we all need, that we all want. Well, let's take a moment to pray as, uh, as we close.
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be able to minister to each other uh, your word. We pray that you would make us uh, instruments in the lives of each other here in our church to grow closer to you, to grow closer to each other, to grow in holiness, and that we may grow in seeing you. And we pray, Lord, that as uh, people come into our church, we pray, Lord, that people would see you working among us, that people would uh, see um, their own sin and their need for the Lord Jesus and seek you. And we pray that you would bless us and help us in all of these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.